Welcome to the 12-2 podcast, where we look at ways to not conform to the patterns of this world and be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can test and approve what God's perfect will is. T-Money. We're going to talk today about a topic that is been in quite some debate and it involves right now uh, Twitter and the FBI. And we're going to dig into how it applies to the First Amendment and just the importance of getting the information, analyzing the information, and then as Charlie was talking about, how do you apply Romans 12 to by analyzing like what's the implication for you as a Christian? So, um, Charlie, what's what's happening right now with Twitter and the FBI? Well, you know, I find it extremely interesting. Um, the FBI is involved. It's really the government's involved, kind of via the FBI. But you know, as most people know, Elon Musk recently recently purchased Twitter. And we all know that Twitter was censoring people. Certainly, they openly deleted the president of the United States while he was president, which is a pretty bold move. And it's coming out now that the it's been purchased and everything's being released. It's been it was already suspected, but now it's been proven that not only was censorship happening and shadow banning happening, but that the government itself was having meetings via members of the FBI who were working at Twitter and also having meetings with Twitter's counsel and telling them what things to remove, what things to shadow ban, and who to delete altogether. So it's the federal government's uh, division is participating in basically removing the First Amendment from the people. And there's all sorts of conversations, obviously, that surround that, but that's kind of that's kind of summary-wise at its essence. And I think a lot of people don't even realize what's going on. They had all those hearings on Capitol Hill, um, but you're not going to see or hear about them in mainstream media. Uh, but they're, you know, they're absolutely happening because even the coverage of these things happening is getting covered up and censored. Because there's just a, there's basically the, the overarching problem is not only is censorship happening, but coverage of censorship is being censored. And, you know, for me, I think it's, it's at our core value as a country. It's our first and most important amendment to the Constitution, um, freedom of speech, freedom of press, and really the debate that's being spoken about right now, which was unthought of just a few years ago is, is it okay to censor? And there's a huge belief right now that it is okay to censor people uh, as long as what they're saying is in disagreement with your belief system or if you become offended by it. And there's kind of a new litmus test that's being proposed that says censorship is good and free speech is not allowed if what you're saying upsets me, which... I think is insane, <laughs> Which, yeah. but that's the, that's the new conversation that's happening right now. In regards to censorship, what's often being censored is the truth. And 
a scripture that comes up for me is Philippians 4, 8, which um, is really this idea of truth and whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think of these things. And <clears throat> what sticks out to me here is just this, this notion of truth. And if things are happening, we should be able to openly have a conversation about that. Truth oftentimes can be, even when you, when you think about love, an act of love can be truth. And to have that open conversation um, is really, really critical. What, number one, um, what ways can people actually get access to this information? You sent me some material where I can see a, you know, F, previous FBI agents being questions about their right, their involvement with, with what you were talking about. But how does, right, the average person get informed about this? Yeah, and, you know, when you talk about truth, you know, certainly as Christians it's important to seek truth in all situations. And I think the, the overarching problem in our culture, and when we talk about do not conform to the patterns of this world, the pattern of this world, at least this country right now, and I'm sure other places too, is that, well, that's your truth. And this is my truth. As if I'm entitled to a different version of the truth. As if there's multiple versions of truth. And there certainly is not multiple versions of absolute truth. Now, certainly people can see a situation and see it different ways and have different perspectives and different backgrounds and different opinions, but that has nothing to do with truth. You know, if something happened or didn't happen, either did or it didn't, you just, you're not entitled to multiple versions of truth. So the pattern in this world, I think we have to be most careful not to conform to is this ever present belief that's being pushed on the American people and our children, especially that you're entitled to your own truth. And it just it just doesn't work that way. Especially, I mean, when it comes to authority of Scripture and understanding the Bible, you know, there are certain things where it's open to interpretation. How do you read this? How does that person read this? How does this scholar read this? What do they say about it? And there's there's some things where it's not extremely clear. But there's many, many things that are very, very clear that other people would say, oh, well, no, it doesn't mean that. And it's like, it couldn't be, it's not even under question. It's, it's stated crystal, crystal clear. It's kind of like a commandment. Like the commandments are pretty clear. They're not things open to interpretation, yeah. right? So this idea of truth is just the enemy's way of tangling up God's word and trying to unravel it and trying to pull it apart at the seams. And I think the most important thing to do is to you know, renew our own minds and get back to, well, no, I have a responsibility to seek truth, to find truth, to promote the truth, and to cling to the truth, because Jesus says, I'm the way, the life, and the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. I look at that as you can't get to God the Father unless you come through truth. So you have to be in this constant pursuit of the truth, and you've got to be reading and looking and diving in, and the enemy is trying to say, well, there's another version of the truth. So that's kind of the battlefield, if you will. And God's will, I think, is to make sure that we have the truth. So just to address that first. Um, the other side of that was, you know, where do you get this information? Well, the good news is when Congress 
meets on Capitol Hill and questions people, it is available on C-SPAN and you can find it on YouTube and then there's edited and cut up clips. So, but what I mean by censored is you're not going to get your main television stations Mm -hmm. or your main social media um, putting this stuff forward, right? Because social media companies not only censor things, but they promote things, right? And if if you take like the COVID-19 thing, they were censoring any doctor's opinion that was in opposition in any way whatsoever, even if it was just a question of the main way of thinking that they were promoting, which was put forth by their advertisers that made the product that they were selling to solve the problem. And they not only censored things, but they promoted the propaganda, right? And if you look at it, they're kind of like evil twin cousins, censorship and propaganda. Censorship is to silence or push or suppress something down so that people can't see it. And then propaganda is to put forward, you know, your message, whether true or not. Mm -hmm. Um, But the problem is people are believing that their version of the truth is true. So they feel justified in propagating that message and they feel justified in censoring any other message because they're 100% sure they're certain. And of course, they have the qualified experts or the medical doctors. It's always, you know, 99% of scientists agree this or, you know, all doctors agree with that. Well, it's only all doctors because you silenced all the other doctors. So I mean, we have lists of thousands of doctors that completely and totally disagree but they've all been censored, shadow banned, or banned from speaking their professional medical opinion. Um, and it's been told that, you know, their facts are not facts. So where do you find the information? That's kind of the, the topic of this conversation is if things are censored, you don't even know they're censored. How do you, how do you find it? And you've got to go digging. And Within that censorship is also propaganda stating that all those platforms where you go digging and find stuff are all false and fake and not true and not real. Because if you go to Google and you look certain things up, Google's going to tell you that those things are false. Mm-hmm. Those things are not true. So you, you'll search something on Google and say, oh, well, you know, this, this doctor is a quack or they're, you know, they've been ousted by the medical profession or they, you know, because they have an opposing view to, to the pharmaceutical view. Well, what ends up happening, once you get exposure to, let's say, a message, and especially one that has credibility like a news station or news outlet, or you go on Google and you see these reputable, right, perceived reputable institutions making claims, there's automatically a bias in our brain that happens. Mm-hmm. Like you mentioned in one of our other episodes, our brains don't have the capacity to filter information right, all the information that we hear. And so we make shortcuts based on what we've learned before. If we have seen from these major institutions that we've adopted as credible credible because our friends trust them, our family trusts them, right, there's just a lot of, right, built-in perceived reputation. And they make a statement to say that if you contradict this, right, they're quacks or um, that that statement, that label ends up having you adopting a belief about, it's almost, it creates a division. Anyone who doesn't agree with X, right, then they get a label. And that label, even, you know, I've experienced myself, it prevents you from even doing the due diligence because 
you think if I go to this website, I'm just like all these other crazy people. Right. And it, it stops people from even going there. And what's even fascinating is once you do have conversations um, with people about an opposing view with, let's say, some firsthand experience or third-party stories within your network and people that you know, people hear it. And it sounds reasonable, but just because that bias is so strong, you know, it, it, it really prevents people from doing the due diligence, you know, in terms of like practical application too for, right, for a believer, that information is influencing how you're living your life, how you're raising your family, how you're interacting with people. And so it might be very natural for us to just say, who cares, right? What's the point of it? But there are implications of misinformation, and it can it can have you know some serious some serious impact. Um, a reaction? <laughs> well, you're, you're you're hitting on something important, and you know the the main common term you hear a lot is conspiracy theorist. Mm-hmm. And if you actually go back and study the history of that, that was something that was put out a long time ago. And it was created allegedly by the government to start to label people. If you think about labeling and what that is, nobody wants to be labeled something negative. Everybody wants to fit in. Everybody wants their thoughts and opinions to be accepted. But it's a form of intimidation or bullying uh, or narcissism, if you will, to try to get people to be silent because you're now labeling them with an identity as if they have a disease or as if they have some uh, disease of the mind or some crippled way of thinking. And if you think about that, we don't allow that in our culture. We don't allow that on race. We don't allow that on mental handicap. We don't allow that on emotional handicap. Like if somebody has emotional issues, we don't allow labeling and identity and bullying We don't allow that with our children in school. We have mass seminars all the time against bullying, but we totally allow it by the government upon people who think in the opposite direction on any subject. And it it brings up a bigger question of, isn't it healthy to have your beliefs questioned by an opposing view? We have this duality of left and right in our country when it comes to politics. We have things that used to be healthy called debates where you would want to talk to somebody who disagrees with you and you would want to test your way of thinking and you would want them to challenge it and you would want to see what comes out on top and maybe I can learn something from it. I could change my stance or opinion or maybe I could persuade that person. But it wasn't an aggressive thing to speak. You weren't violently harming somebody by sharing what's inside of your brain. And that's what we're starting to lose. And what they're doing is they're ironically taking speech and saying, well, that's hate speech. And that's another label. And it's like, okay, you're full of hatred. You're a racist because you said this. And it's like, this has nothing to do with race. So how am I a racist when I speak my opinion on COVID-19 vaccinations? I'm suddenly a racist, right? So they're basically taking words 
and doing wordplay and sticking labels onto people, you're crazy, you're nuts, you're conspiracy theorists, you're a racist, you're a fascist. They don't even know what these words mean, but they're being thrown at people to try to silence them and intimidate them and to try to point out to other people, don't listen to this person. And then if people still listen to that person, okay, well, let's start making their voice not findable. Let's shadow ban them and start suppressing it so that when you search for them, you can't find them. Or, you know, there's an algorithm that says if a lot of people like something, that it rises to the top. Well, if a lot of people like it, let's not let it rise to the top. Mm -hmm. And that's what they've now admitted to doing. First, they said, no, we've never done that. Now they've been caught doing it and they have proof of it. And that's what's going on with Twitter. And it obviously happens on every social media platform. And they're exposing that. So now they're changing their position. They're changing their lie on the subject. And now they're all just saying, well, yeah, but I had nothing to do with that. It, was, it wasn't me. I was just doing what I was told to do. And we, it, was, it wasn't the owner. Of, it wasn't the CEO. It wasn't the legal counsel. It wasn't the head legal counsel. It wasn't the people actually doing it. The FBI it had nothing. Nobody, nobody knows anything. So now they're in the denial stage of them having any individual, and it's just this magical thing that they're admitting happened, but they can't really pin down why it happened. And they're exposed, but the exposure is censored, so you can't find the exposure. So yeah, you got to dig. You got to go to some alternative media sources, if you will. And they're getting very popular, and it's interesting because in the world I travel in and the people I talk to, it's like half the country is not following mainstream media. They're going to podcasts. They're going to Signal. They're going to Telegram. They're going direct to websites on the internet to get their information because they've been seeking truth and looking for the opposing side, which has disappeared. And they know when they turn on the television or they turn on social media, they just know they're only seeing one half of the of the conversation, but it's presented as 100% of people agree with this, and if you don't, you're crazy and you're nuts, mm-hmm. when it's typically the exact opposite. That's what we're finding. You know, it's funny. I was listening to Ron DeSantis talk, and he had some border Biden border crisis thing he was doing, and he's talking on all these subjects, and he's basically proposing the exact opposite. He's like, <clears throat> you know, most people, 99% of people agree that we shouldn't have pornographic images inside of books and libraries that are accessible to 10-year-olds. He's like, but we have it. And in Florida, that's illegal now. You can't do that. And it's true. I would think that the majority of people would not want to do that because that's pedophilia to give pornography to children, mm-hmm. prepubescent children. And pretty much nobody's for that except for straight pedophiles. But somehow it became promoted in the media that, like, you're a fascist if you remove books from the library. And Ron DeSantis wants to, wants to burn books and get rid of books and doesn't want anybody to have access to any information. And he's a racist and he's this and he's that. And so they're going to, the media is going to try to paint him as either stupid or racist or fascist or we, they haven't really picked what card they're going to play. But that's really the conversation is how does. Who is this media that's coordinating all together? And how are they censoring certain beliefs and thoughts to make it appear like their way of thinking is the only way? Mm -hmm. And it's what everybody else believes when, in fact, it's the exact opposite. 
Like, how does 1% of the country control the entire country? With falsehoods and how do they avoid truth and how do they not have to answer for it? It's because the platforms they're answering on that people have learned to trust are presenting it this way. How long has this uh, been going on? (laughs) I think forever. (laughs) (laughs) I think what's happening is it's picking up steam and it's moving it's moving to so aggressive and so so obvious and people are starting to catch on to it more and more that they're going to other places. And people I see people and they, Hey, did you hear about this? Like going on in the world? Like some big huge news story. I'm like, No, what are you talking about? Like, how did you not hear about that? I'm like, I don't think I listen to anything you listen to. I don't think I look at anything you look at. I've just got totally different sources. What are those sources for that you that you recommend and um let's start with that. What are the sources? Well, I think first of all, you've gotta you've gotta get off of the main sources. Anything that's on like television. Like if you've got Comcast and you go to like your news channels, like your Foxes, your CNNs, your MSNBCs, if you're gonna use them, look at them and just assume everything you see is the exact opposite in truth. Because they're more often promoting lies than they are truth, right? So you've got you've to avoid that at all costs. Now, obviously, with any media source, you're going to see some truth, but then you're going to see the twist and the spin and all that. So I would say abandon all television first. Secondly, anything the government puts out, you've got to get away from. Because they've put out so much false information, particularly around this COVID-19 stuff, They've put out so much false information, whether it was the CDC, it was the FDA, it was the NIH. They've backpedaled, which means they've admitted without admitting it that they lied and gave false information. And they've changed their stance and position over and over and over again. I mean, that's most pointed out by like Fauci, who just like if you just watch his clips, like he just literally speaks with authority, this is true, and then there's another clip where he totally contradicts himself, and he just did that for years, and people kept buying the newest whatever, and they were literally walking out with, like, multiple masks on their face, thinking that was protecting them from something, and all that stuff is now gone, because if you look around, COVID's still around, but nobody's wearing a mask, Mm -hmm. nobody's social distancing at six feet, no businesses are closed. And the people aren't forced to take vaccines anymore because it's all been proven not to work, which we knew from the beginning, but they were saying it absolutely will protect you. And now they're saying that we never said it would protect you, right? It's a form of uh, gaslighting, narcissism. So once you get gaslit or, or, you know, from somebody, you have to not, no longer trust that source. So I would say anything government related, unfortunately, you can't trust right now on these topics, for sure. Medical stuff, they just shouldn't be involved. Science stuff, they shouldn't be involved because... They're clueless. So I would get rid of those sources. Social media in general, your Facebooks. I mean, Facebook just constantly censors any opposing opinion to anything that their advertisers don't want seen. Um, and it's, it's important to understand that. So what would be the alternative sources? Uh, websites directly. You got to find people. Sometimes you can find people that aren't fully censored, but they're only saying things, um, you know, they're only saying minor things because they know they can't. Like, we've already had our podcast censored. And we've already had an episode removed from YouTube. Yeah. For me, stating my opinion, which is, in fact, a provable fact. And they censored it because they, they believe they're protected under 230 and they can do that. 
which is another you know thing to talk about. It is. Mm-hmm. So you can't even get the truth from me on my podcast on certain platforms because those platforms are deleting the entire podcast because of what we're saying here, right? So where can you get it? So you can hear those same episodes in their original form on all the different podcast sites, right? So it posts to, what are the podcast sites that it posts to? Oh, yeah. So you got your, if you're on Android, you can go straight to um, like your Google podcast. If you're on Apple, right, you can go to the Apple podcast. You got um, YouTube, um, I think they're YouTube Music, Spotify. I mean, all the major ones. If you listen to, um, and we can even drop it in the in the link. Um, I, I'd be curious with what we're talking about here. This probably won't last on YouTube, right? So that first episode got censored on YouTube, mm-hmm. but I don't think it got censored on any other ones. No, that we it know didn't. Of. It was just YouTube. Right, because YouTube's popular and YouTube's run by Google and YouTube is highly into content manipulation, which I call censorship. Mm-hmm. And they believe that they're able to do that and they should be doing that to protect people because they think if they listen to somebody like me that suddenly they're not going to get a shot and therefore they're going to die of a virus. Right. And therefore we need to protect those people from people like me that are quacks and are not scientists, even though there's thousands of medical doctors that share the same exact opinion, we all need to be censored, right? So that's kind of the point is that the mainstream ones, the big ones, the popular ones is probably what people need to stay away from. And they need to go find the same people they want to listen to that align with them on other platforms, go to their websites directly, go to other podcast platforms, go to other video platforms. Rumble doesn't censor, right? So go to Rumble instead of YouTube, go to Truth Social instead of Facebook, go to... Um, there's a lot of different platforms now that are out there that people have content they're posting on where they're not censored. In fact, most people are removed. And if you think, you know, what you can do is you could probably (laughs) Google, ironically, people that have been censored or blocked or deleted from social media and get a whole list and then just go search them on DuckDuckGo instead of Google or even do that original search on DuckDuckGo, which doesn't censor. And go find their websites or find the platforms that they're on. And, you know, even if you take like uh, podcasts like Joe Rogan, you know, he was on YouTube heavily and he started facing some censorship for his interviewing of people and their positions and stances on COVID-19. And when he got it himself, he just like put out the information for everybody to see like how he treated it, what he did, what he didn't do. And they wanted to cancel him. They, when I say they, like corporate media wanted to cancel Joe Rogan, but the problem is too many people already listened to him. Mm-hmm. So he just he just took a deal and and moved his podcast. Right? What's he on? Is he on Spotify? I think so. Okay. Yeah. So he moved it over there, so you can still see small clips on YouTube of him and whatnot. But if you want to see it in its entirety, you got to go to Spotify to hear him now. And this is the number one podcast in the world. Can't mm-hmm. even be on YouTube because being censored. I mean, take a guy like Andrew Tate. I disagree with so many things that that guy believes in. His Muslim faith, his, um, and I can get into why he feels the way he does towards women, but it's it's not healthy. And But he's got the captive eyeballs of so many people. And same thing. Not only did they start banning him from platforms, which backfired and he got more popular than ever, 
but they've actually put him in jail for just for things he said. Well, they, I didn't even know that. Yeah, he's been in jail for like I think sixty something days now. Wow. He's been locked up in a Romanian prison with no actual charges against him. They're literally just holding him, and they can hold him for up to 180 days. So they literally just stick him in jail for a half a year. And But the question is, like, I don't agree with things he's saying, mm-hmm. but should he be put in prison for those? And my answer is no. Yeah. I mean, and but that's a different country. They have different rules. I get that. But when it comes to... The U.S., I'm a U.S. citizen. I have a say here. And I don't think that people should be censored. And I think that the First Amendment is pretty clear on that, that we shall make no laws that restricts religion or freedom of speech or peaceful assembly. I think it's pretty clear. Yeah. And then so something that's interesting is making the distinction for the First Amendment and who that applies to and where it applies. Right. So with the First Amendment, that means that the government cannot uh, censor speech, especially like in public, right, in public, um, in public forms. But then when you get into, you mentioned Section 230, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that was enacted, what, in 1996, where it gives companies like uh, Facebook or any social media platforms protection from any post. So if I, you know, if you, for example, and I are putting out, right, we're putting out content, or if anyone's putting out content, and let's say something happens, right, and someone does something, uh, Facebook, or any social media platform, they are not held liable for for those actions. Um, It's much different if it was a uh, publication, like the New York Times, they could be held liable for the information that they're put, putting out. And so that even should give us even more speculation if Facebook and all these companies aren't going to be held liable for the information of their users, then why are they doing that? They technically, you know, there's no, right, there's no lawsuit that they could face in that regards. But what's what's up with, like, Section 230 and... Uh, the First Amendment, like how does that play into all this? So Section 230 basically removes liability, I believe, from publishers, right? So like if you just take somebody else's information, like a platform, and you say, hey, I'm just a publisher. We don't create content. We don't edit content. We just publish other people's stuff. We should not be held responsible for what they say. It's free speech, and it's just our platform. But the problem is these platforms have left publishing and they're editing and they are censoring certain things. So they're entering into the world of, of editing, if you will. And when you say publisher, what's an example of a publisher? Um, so like a newspaper. Okay. Sometimes it'll be like, okay, here's, here's an article by this person and this is what they wrote. Right. But I just own the newspaper. I didn't write the article. Right. Or let's say like it's it's, you know, it's Rumble and anybody can open an account and anybody can put up any video they want. Right. So we all want some editing. You don't want to go on to Rumble and find like videos of pedophilia. Right. You don't want to see people murdered. There's certain things that we agree as a society that we all don't want to see. So we agree to censorship to an extent on certain things that are 
deemed universally inappropriate. The problem is they've taken that universally inappropriate and now they've applied it to their political agenda. To it's, Instead of 99.9% of people don't want to see this content, it's 49% or 51% of the country doesn't want to see this content because they disagree with it. So let's protect them and censor the opposing view. And then let's pretend like it's not half the country that believes this other way. Or, or, you know, and then it's like, well, this is dangerous because when this man speaks, the president, and says, let's peacefully go over to the Capitol, let's cut out peacefully and say, he said, let's go over to the Capitol and let's break into the Capitol, even though they have videos of actual, like, government agents doing the breaking in and of actual police allowing people in and opening the doors for them, let's ignore all that and say, when this guy speaks, they riot and kill people. And it's like, well, no, one guy died of a heart attack while he was there, and one girl died because she was shot by a government agent, Ashley Babbitt. But other than that, nobody died at the January 6th, you know, capital riot, if you will, even though they were walking through peacefully. But then they forgot for two years they did a George Floyd riot tour of the entire country. Now, were 95% of those gatherings peaceful? Probably. But were 5% violent and did things burn down? Yeah, I watched it all on video. What percentage? It doesn't matter. But who's being held accountable and censored? Who spoke all the things that made people go out and do all that? Because that was taken out of context. It was turned into all police are racists. And then people were attacking police officers, literally killing police officers throwing things at them, flames, murdering them. And none of them were held accountable. And when I say none of them, the people that did it and the people that spoke stuff to the people that did it, that made them want to do it, like, hey, here's the problem. So politicians spoke things that made people want to go out and riot. And it's okay to protest. And it's okay for politicians to speak their opinion. I think they should be allowed to. Yeah. But why is that side allowed to speak what they want to speak and believe what they want to believe and then have their followers do what they want to do and have no repercussions for any of them? But then the opposing side speaks one time and people do one thing. And now the whole world has to be looked through that lens like this is too dangerous. Mm -hmm. So people walking into the Capitol building is too dangerous. But people burning down businesses and murdering people is not too dangerous. They have a right to protest and be upset because of all the racism by the police, which is ludicrous. Absolutely insane. You have situations where you have a black person killed by police and all four cops involved are black. And they're saying this is from racist white cops. And then you have people like LeBron James chiming in on, on these things and has no idea of any of the facts. And he has all this influence. And he gets people fired up because they follow him. They just listen to what he says. Why isn't he held accountable for the actions? Right. Because you can't be held accountable for actions of people that listen to you unless you're directly demanding that they go light something on fire. Right. So if I have influence and I say, well, go light this building on fire, that's one thing. But if I give my opinion and then you decide to take that to another level, that's on you. Right. But it's a double standard. And ironically... 
they are complaining about the exact thing that they've done. And it's only one side that it's being pointed out as. And, you know, listen, if we want to get the truth, let's get the truth. Let's get the truth. Why, why can't we say, well, you know, January 6th was a mostly peaceful protest? Because it was. The only violence that happened was one of the protesters got shot. Right? right? Yeah. So what, what comes is this divide. And there's also this belief in the church that Christians shouldn't get involved. And I think there's some wisdom in that at times. But shouldn't we always get involved in looking at the patterns of this world, not transforming to them, and renewing our mind, testing and approving, you know, what Mm -hmm. God's will is, and and getting to truth? Shouldn't we look at things and say, well, wait a second. Is the people I'm listening to, is the people that are telling me what's happening, is it true? Because if my sources are bad, I've got a problem. You know, as Christians, you look to the Bible as your main source of truth. And you have to not only look to that, but you have to interpret it properly according to, you know, church history and, you know, people that are experts at the subject and what the universal understanding of everything is. You know, that's a whole nother subject. But we're, we're supposed to be people of the book that are clinging to truth. But then we live in a society and a culture that's lying to us. And there's lies to the left and there's lies to the right. It gets polarized in both directions. But I think it's our job to find out what the actual truth is and look at it and say, how should we view this? How should we think about this? What sources should we get for information? And how involved should we be in the information in general? You know, because obviously there's an unhealthy level of involvement, Mm -hmm. but there's also an unhealthy level of not being involved and not understanding what's actually going on because it becomes a danger to you and your family when you don't understand the enemy that's out to get you. You know, God forbid, you know, as a Christian sending their kid to a public school right now, and, you know, their kids are being groomed by pedophiles. This happens. doesn't happen everywhere. doesn't happen all the time. It's rare, but, man, it happens. Yeah. And it gets caught on film, too. So I think that truth is important. Um, absolute truth is important, but we also have to pick and choose what we sign up for. We have to pick and choose how deep to get into each subject. You know, there's this, there's this movement of, oh, Christians shouldn't be involved in politics. And it's, well, politics got involved in everything. Politics are the ones trying to force shots into your body. And as a Christian, you should look at that and say, is this something that should be in my child's body? Mm-hmm. Is this actually something you're forced to face this subject? If you just say, well, no, let me just submit to the government and they say it's good, so let me put it in my children. That can be your position. But if your position is, no, I'm not really sure about that, then you've got to address these subjects and look at the whole thing and try to try to discern and find the truth and say, how can we look at this pattern of the world and really have some wisdom and discernment on this subject? You know, and there, there's certainly some people, you know, in the Christian circles that would go in the opposite direction of me on, on a lot of different stances. And I, I welcome those debates. I just am not sure that they do. Yeah, it's that... That notion of, or that scripture of iron sharpens iron, and men sharpen one another, and that's an opportunity for even, you know, our listeners, we're talking about eventually maybe doing some live streams or having any of you in the chat, so, and even for us to challenge one another, to really push our thinking, and to 
analyze it against truth. And that's kind of the underlying message with all of this right here is how can we talk about the truth and have an open conversation and then ultimately allow God's wisdom to help us discern what's the right way to do this so we're not conforming to this pattern of this world. Yeah, and I'll tell you what's coming next. What's coming next, and I don't know exactly when, is the Bible as hate speech. This has already happened in Canada. This has already happened in other countries for forever, but it's coming here in the States where a pastor preaches, let's say, on homosexuality, on proper marriage, on the biblical stance and position, and that gets seen as a hate speech, which in California they've already passed stuff to state that. They've just not started arresting people. In churches. Yeah. Yeah, and you have a freedom of speech that's protected by your First Amendment, but the First Amendment's under attack. So what happens when... Like, if, if we have a podcast right now and we, we speak of the biblical position on homosexuality and we go all into it and lay it all out and we put it on those platforms, it'll be removed as hate speech, bullying, and will probably be suspended or banned from the platform. So the Bible's already illegal in the social media world amongst certain platforms that are the largest, you know, your Silicon Valley ones. But... What's going to turn into is it's going to turn into a persecution where it's that's hate speech. And the reason that, you know, this gay person died over here is because you speak this way and people listen to that and then they go out and kill them is how they're trying to link it all together. Like you're responsible. You've got blood on your hands for your for your speech and your position on this subject and your hatred towards these people when in actuality Hatred isn't taught in the scripture, and hatred typically is not what's preached either. Mm-hmm. But that's what they convert it to, and then they try to make you responsible as as the speaker. So they're basically going, the enemy's going to try to tie, and if God allows it successfully, biblical teachings to hatred and murder, and then persecute and prosecute people and lock them up for speaking the truth of the Bible. There's only so long we can avoid this before it happens. Mm -hmm. It's coming. I mean, I can see it crystal clear like a runway. It's just coming down the runway. It's already happening in other areas. It's already happening in certain states. It's already being debated, talked about. But yeah, it's going to come down to persecution of Christians for speech. And we're supposed to be in a free country where we're allowed to have free speech. Pretty much the last free country of free speech left. And if we if we lose that uh, position, if you will, there's a really good chance <clears throat> that the whole world loses that position because it's really our freedom of speech and opinion that allows us to be so diverse and allows us to do what we do and to have the excellence that we have. So that's that's why, to me, this is such an important subject. Yeah, it'll be interesting for us to navigate where this goes and how we can have this conversation online without having it booted because I think this might get booted from YouTube or they might for sure yeah well I'm I'm in a bunch of sites on uh, Facebook still where there's acceptable codes for saying certain things like you're not saying the vaccine you can't spell that word out you can't say experimental shot. Like there's certain 
algorithms that are programmed to censor you and then flag the page and delete the page. I'm talking pages with 60, 70, 80, 100,000 people on them mm-hmm. where there's different symbols that you use when you're trying to say something. Everything's sp- spoken code. Yeah. And this is over a vaccine that they're trying to tell you you have to have in your body, which isn't a vaccine in the first place. And they've mandated it into people, and now it's like they want it in every single man, woman, and child in the country, or otherwise you can't do X, Y, and Z. Like, if they're going to that extreme over a shot, which half of people haven't even taken anyway, like, what are they going to do when they think it's like you're, you're murdering homosexuals with your speech? It's going to be insane. Yeah. That's what's coming. Coming attractions. I'm not trying to be a prophet about it, but as a strategist, like I can see crystal clear where the enemy's going with this. Hmm. Like, you can see the, it being paved. You can see kind of how it's being laid out. And, you know, the Supreme Court listened to Section 230, and they looked at it. And, you know, the real problem is that there's alternative platforms, but everybody stays on the ones that they're comfortable with and used to. Yeah. And what they need to do is they need to flee it. But when they flee it, it's a different platform. It looks different. It feels different. It doesn't have all the luxuries and conveniences of the platforms you're used to. Your friends aren't all on it. And it's like starting over. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it can be uncomfortable. Yeah, your photos aren't there. Your memories aren't there. Your, you know, your family's not there. You don't get to see all the same people that you were following over there. And, you know, th- there's that change. So that's what's so huge about musk buying twitter it's like you know and he talked about this instead of buying his and starting his own platform he said it would take like three to five years to really get it up and be where it needs to be and he considered that he said about three to five years i don't have three to five years so i just bought twitter instead and now he's allowed people to speak and now he's having open dialogue on there like okay what things should we still censor Mm. and i think everybody's agreeing yeah like we don't want to see kitty porn we don't want to see people being murdered. Like, it should be behind something or just not allowable. You know, but then people say, oh, well, you need to censor, you know, the KKK and anybody that's been associated with it because they want to do this, that, and the other. And I just think people associated with the KKK just have to be so dumb, you don't even need to pay attention to them. Don't even give them any energy. Um, but, like... You know, where are those lines drawn at? What do we all universally agree that we don't want to see and should not be, you know, in front of eyeballs? And, you know, there's, there's people trying to change that, too. They're, instead of calling it pedophilia, they're trying to call it, uh, what are they calling it now? Um, minor, minor attractive individual or something like that. Mm. They're, they're trying to rebrand pedophiles to be something where they're a victim of it and they can't control it and they're born that way. Right. And that sounds insane now, but in 10 years, it'll be fully accepted across our culture. So in terms of, you know, one thing I was thinking through is what's a a way for a believer to, right, look at information and test whether it's true and, you know, go to the Lord on it to... Right, get some clarity around that. Like, what does that process look like if there is one? That's a great question. Um, I believe that the Lord has given us the scripture for a reason. 
and that through the scripture, it's not just a proof text where you go like a dictionary and you look up, okay, what does the Bible say on this subject? Certainly you can do that with a lot of things, but it's also something where as you read it in repetition and you study it, you learn to gain your own wisdom and discernment in general, because it's really the wisdom that brings you discernment that allows you to look at something and quickly tell whether or not it's true. So I think the source is God, and God's source of communication with us is the Scripture. And gaining the wisdom allows for that discernment. And certainly if you don't have all that, it's also wise to consult somebody else who may have that wisdom. But it's also, you know, the Bible also says a wise man has many counselors, right? Because you can have somebody that you are following or turn to, and now you've kind of made that person your Jesus, if you will, or your source of truth. And if they're misinterpreting something, intentional or not, usually not, then you're going to start to believe whatever it is they're saying or you know telling you to do. So you got to consider your sources. You want to get as straight to the Bible as you can, uh, as soon as you can, and as much as you can. And then you want to surround yourself with people that do the same and, again, are willing to have conversation on the subject. You know, I'm always concerned about people that refuse to have conversation on their positions in the scripture, or they will have conversation about it. But then as soon as you disagree or you prove your point, they, uh, they say, well, I just disagree. And this is the way I see it. And it's like, well, don't we have a responsibility to get to the bottom of this and find out what it actually is? There's so few that will do that, but that's a different level of maturity for somebody to be able to do that. What I found is most believers are not well equipped to dive into scripture and exegete the scripture and look at it and really pull it apart. And, you know, sometimes you have to go to original language and really say, well, what's the intention of this? You know, what is, what, what does this word actually mean? Like, let me make sure I'm not missing something here. And then also in church history, what is this meant for the past 2000 years to everybody? And why is my new belief on it? That's been around for 50 years. What I believe, you know, like, are, are, are we entitled to change the universal beliefs or should we put those into some weight and consideration? So I think that that is the way to discern truth. Um, in addition to that, prayer, right? And, you know, there's plenty of verses in the scripture that say that you do not have because you do not ask, right? And, you know, things that talk about, you know, um, you know, to gain wisdom, you basically just ask God for it and he'll give it to you. Right. So, but you can't rely solely on that. You can't be like, okay, well, I heard those verses, so I'm just going to pray, and whatever I think at that point is truth. You have to have both in combination. So, I think that would be the recipe: is uh, prayer, reading scripture, having good advisors, and being open to debate on the conversations and further understanding. Therefore, gaining your wisdom to make you wiser for more discernment. Because discernment is not really a gift. Some people think, oh, it's a gift. You know, I don't read the Bible. I don't have that gift. I just have this gift of knowing right from wrong. And it's like, yeah, no, that's not a good formula because you're basing it off of your worldly knowledge, mm-hmm. right? So I think that you analyze something, get all the information one full time, don't overthink it. Then you pray on it. Ask, uh, ask the people that God's put in your life that have wisdom on the subject, you know, and collect those things and weigh them heavily and try to make sure that your sin nature is not pulling you towards the answer you're looking for. And be willing to let God conform, transform, and renew your mind to his perfect and pleasing will. And if your mind isn't changing on subjects, then perhaps you're not submitting to God's will. I've had to change my position on tons of things because God just says it different than I would have created it. Right.
Yeah, what you're saying sounds like a lot of work, and it is a lot of work. Yeah. When I went through, you turned me on to Alan Parr, and that was I loved his material because it was it's solid, it's biblical, and I went through one of his Bible study courses, and I was like, man, there's a lot that goes into reading the scripture properly. But I mean, there's there's um. It's it's almost like hey if you're gonna spend fifty or hundred grand to go to school and you're gonna put all that time and attention to get a degree and if you are a believer and you understand what we're actually working towards why not put that put that effort in and like he said with with the flesh it's that's the challenge it's right getting that time in and doing the due diligence to make sure you're actually spending the time with the Lord and to do the extra extra work of understanding how do you actually read the Bible? Because that's yeah. a skill in of itself. Yeah. You know, the Bible says that wisdom is more valuable than silver and gold. And if you think about the time that's spent in schooling, how much time do we send our kids to school? How much time do they spend in college? How much money do they borrow in order to potentially get a job that's going to pay them money? And how much is spent on that? Like, how much... For for money, for silver and gold, how much time is spent on gaining wisdom if we were to weigh the things out? And I think that's where Christians need to separate themselves and really measure those things. You know, my focus 99% on degrees and, you know, money and, you know, 1% on wisdom or like, where where is it? And, you know, for me as an entrepreneur, that's been something I've been concerned about for decades you know, because an entrepreneur's desire is to build business and is to focus on increasing it and is called to that. And I'd say there was a whole decade where I questioned whether or not it was healthy for me to be called to that, right? Because there's so many warnings in scripture of focusing on money and whatnot, but it came down to that's just how God wired me. This is this is from my experiences and how I was created. This is where I'm supposed to be as an entrepreneur. And um, ironically, though, if you focus on making money, it doesn't happen that well. But if you focus on the wisdom of the Bible and you focus on life's lessons and learning what God has to teach you, it makes you a better business person. So it's, it's like most things, it's upside down and backwards. Mm. You know, we got a crucified Savior who came to die. It doesn't make any sense. The king isn't supposed to come and die. The king's supposed to come and reign in victory. But his victory was through death. And that was upside down and backwards. And people said, that's, that's crazy. How strong is your God if he died? And it's like, yeah, he did everything upside down and backwards on purpose, mm-hmm. you know, because it's not supposed to be something you come to through logic. It's through faith and belief that God gives that faith. And it is considered by the world insane, which is why we don't, you know, conform to these patterns of thinking by the world. You know, when somebody says, you guys are crazy in what you believe in, you know, we immediately want to defend that, but... The scripture pretty much tells us, yeah, the world will reject you because what you believe is crazy. But I don't believe it because I came to it through some logical understanding. I believe mm-hmm. it because God put that faith inside of me. Right. So you brought up how to read the Bible. And I think it's important that we probably do a full podcast on that subject in general and kind of go over that. But one of the things I was exposed to early on in my Christian walk was a book that's actually called How to Read the Bible. It's a great resource. Um, If you're a book person, I would definitely get that book and read it. 
And if you're more of a video person, you can kind of search that. There is a series on YouTube that a pastor does where he covers uh, like a chapter a week, or like per episode. So it's like seven or eight different episodes where he goes over and kind of teaches the main highlights from it, make sure you understand it. But there's there's an art into how to read the book of books. And, you know, there's a lot of misunderstanding about the scriptures, what they are, how it's assembled, how it's put together, what's in there, why it's in there. You know, one of the main things I run into all the time is people say, yeah, but you can't take it literally. And it's like, well, what does literally mean? (laughs) Right. Literally is literature. Like, but, you know, for me, I, I was weakest in literature in school reading, writing, all that different stuff. It was, it was my weakness by, by far, and math was my strength. So, like, a reader was something I was not when I became a Christian at all. But I developed a hunger and a thirst for God that he put there that, that made me go in that direction. And then what I learned through reading this book and through some great teachers I had at the time was I had to learn how to find out like what genre of literature I was reading. And what's confusing about the Bible is it's a book of books. So it's a, it's it, think of like a poem book where like, you know, you'll have like 40 poems in the book or 80 poems in the book. They're all different poems. Well, now imagine a book of books like the Bible where there is some poetry in there, mm-hmm. but there's also a historical book in there that is an historical account. And there's also a prophecy book of like what the future is going to do. And there's other literary genres in there that you don't know or understand. So if you just pick it up and read it all like it's history, that's going to be a problem. If you read it all like it's poetry, that's going to be a problem. And that's what most people believe is that, well, they're just fairy tales or, you know. And when you really start to break it down... You have these different genres where, like, you would never take a piece of poetry that a friend wrote and read it as historical fact. And you would never take historical fact and read it as if it was, like, some sort of abstract art. And I think that's probably one of the most important lessons is to really understand what you're reading. You know, who the author was of that book, when they were writing it. We, we do these things all the time. I mean, if you pick up a book written, you know, in Germany, you know, 200 years ago, like you automatically think about the author, who they're writing to, the times, how they were different. Like if you see something out of place in time, like you you just, these things trigger in your brain. But for some reason with the Bible, people don't read it that way. They just, they don't, they don't consider who the author was. They don't consider who the audience was. They don't consider the style of writing that it is. They don't consider the time frame and what was going on in that area and why they're writing about what they're writing. But I found that the more that I understand all those pieces about each piece of scripture I'm reading, the better I can understand what God's trying to communicate. But you get so many preachers and pastors and people that read a little bit of scripture that are dangerous because they take little snippets and they make it mean whatever they want because they're assuming all sorts of stuff that may not be true about that piece of literature. So we have to treat the literature as it is and we have to uh, learn how to read the Bible. That's a great book for it. So I highly recommend that resource and or those videos. Who's the author and of the book and, and the YouTube channel? Great question. Um, that's a great question. So I can pull it up on my phone. Go ahead. 
How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth is Gordon D. Fee and Douglas Stewart, and they have another uh, book, which is How to Read the Bible Book by Book, which goes into further. So one is like how to read it in general, kind of like what I was talking about, um, but in way greater detail. And the other one is like book by book, like this is how you read Genesis. Mm. This is how you read Philippians. Like this is what you need to know and understand about it, like each individual book. So I highly recommend those resources because... It's one thing to read the book, but like when you start to understand what the book is, you get more of a desire to read it because you then understand it. Hmm. And when, when we talk about like censorship, if you really think about it, we're censoring ourselves from this information. It's available at your fingertips. It's right there. But most of us censor parts of the Bible from ourselves. I know for years there were certain books I just did not want to read. You know, I would get into Leviticus and be like, my goodness, I just can't read this right now. Like, it's just... You know, because I, I just didn't understand a lot of things about it. And I think for a lot of folks, especially new believers and Christians, they kind of censor the Old Testament. because it's like this huge mountain that they believe they can't climb. You know, and they look at Everest and it's like, well, I like to go on trails and hikes with God, but I don't want to climb Everest. And it looks like Everest to me. I guess what I'm saying is the more you learn about what it is and how to read it and understand it without diving into it, but going around it, the more Everest starts to look like a little hill and the more likely you are to get yourself into it so that you can see God's full revelation and his full story of redemption. And I think it's important to spend some time. Now, I'm always leery. I always, I always you know, advise people, spend your time in the scripture, not on books about the scripture, right? Yeah. But... Um, there is something to be said for understanding what you're reading before you read it, at least understand the framework of it. So I would highly advise that. And back to just that censorship, you know, if you really think about it, you ha- if you have a certain belief about the scriptures that keeps you out of the Old Testament, you're kind of censoring it from yourself. And it's probably a belief that somebody gave you it somewhere along the line. But it's our job to seek the truth and, you know, kind of learn about it. So I highly encourage people to really dive into those resources and and also get with people that understand, you know, the book well from that perspective and can help you understand it and and learn it as well. A uh, dip your toe in type of resource I found has been the Bible Project. I'm not sure you still check them out, but they've got some interesting videos about the different genres and they've got videos on each book of the Bible, which helps you get that context of the Bible, who it was written to and how it fits into the entire Bible. And it's a bit of a right macro visual audio approach to understanding, right? The story of the Bible. Yeah. And the animation really helps our modern day, um, Video brains. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really, really well done. Um, one warning caveat that I give with that is, uh, is it Tim Mackey, I believe is mm-hmm. the guy? He had uh, one video I saw was a very interesting teaching where he decided to say that um, that man created hell. And it basically it doesn't exist and God didn't. And I, I as well as many... Um, would find that a very, very controversial teaching, in fact, a heresy. Um, So in finding that, I stopped recommending that resource for that reason. So I think that probably 95% of the content, or 99 even, is probably tremendous and very helpful. 
but you just have to be careful putting your belief into the man that created that. He's very intelligent. Um, he's got a really kind of awkward, silly way about him that's inviting and pleasant and easy to listen to. And uh, you just got to be careful that somebody doesn't get your attention and trust and then teach you something that's going to send you to the pit of hell. And I think that that teaching can absolutely do that. So that's my warning against it. Um, but the resources, man, they're so strong. Yeah. But something only needs to be 1% false to really deceive you. And I'm saying that there's something tremendously false about what he teaches. If According to scripture anyway, yeah. ironically. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, 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 it's, uh, it's, it's shocking too. Cause it just seems like they go to such an extent to analyze and to apply what you're talking about, how to read the scripture. And it's, uh, like you said, everyone's got to be, everyone's got to be held accountable. I was in love with that resource, the Bible Project, until I saw that video, and I was just, it was like, it was a shot to the chest. It was like, you got to be kidding me, dude. As smart as you are, as much as you read, as much as you understand, as incredible as this resource is, and then this, <laughs> I mean, it's not even close. Yeah. It's so far off. But, you know, that that is some of the danger with... um Theologians, you know, is sometimes they get so deep in the stuff that they lose the simplicity of the scripture and they start to hypothesize things and they get locked on stuff and they come up with stuff that's clearly contradicted in scripture, but they decide to teach it that way. And then they have their followers and they have people that listen to it. And, you know, that that's a movement today in this day and age in the church is, you know, uh, I think Francis Chan wrote a book called Erasing Hell where he really analyzed, uh, you know, this concept of hell and whether it exists and really went into all the scriptures and dove into it. Um, There is um, The Heresy of Rob Bell, uh, which is his book was called Love Wins. And it it was the idea of basically everybody goes to heaven and God would never punish somebody to hell. So just, again, deleting scripture and saying how he has a better understanding of it. You're going to get these people that come forward and do this. And they're nothing new. You know, they think it's some sort of new thought. But this has been going on since day one. There's been somebody every 50 or 100 years that has influence that decides to take that stance and position and head in that direction. Look, I mean, you and I would want to get rid of hell if we could. Yeah. Wouldn't it be tremendous if we could save everybody? All dogs go to heaven. What a great concept. Right? But unfortunately, you're either submitting to the God who created you or you're creating the God that you want and forcing him to submit to what you would do. So who's the clay to say to the potter, why'd you make me this way? And at some point, you either have to accept that God and his love and his sovereignty and what he's revealed in scripture is true, or you've got to decide, nah, well, maybe that part of scripture shouldn't have been in there. And it's a mistake. And that's not really what it means. I'm going to bend this and put less emphasis on this in order to contort the belief into my direction of what I would do if I were God. And it's a dangerous place to be. It's not submission. It's, um, there's a pride involved with that. 
there's a deception involved with that. I think if we all went to our core of our humanity, we would want to change some things about what God does and how he does it, if we're honest. Um, but that's something we have to boil down and look at and say, well, am I submitting to what the scripture says? Do I truly believe what the scriptures say, what God has revealed, or do I not? And if you don't, like, why do you believe any of it? That's what I don't understand. It's, it's, it's an all in or not kind of thing. And that's what Jesus taught. Like drop everything and follow me. Like, are you all in with me or not? If not, like he said, go let the bed dead bury the dead or sell everything you own and like follow me. Right. So there, there, you got to lose something to follow Jesus. And if you're trying to not lose anything, you're trying to not lose any of your existing ways of thinking, any of your existing pride in your way of thinking, and you're trying to follow, then you're going to have to change the Jesus you're following. And ultimately, you're going to end up following a Jesus that you created. And that's a false idol. It can be very, very close. But if it's off, it's off. And if you take that off over time, I've seen over the years, some people go way off. And, you know, submitting yourself daily taking up your cross daily and giving up daily and letting God be the king of the universe and following what the king says. A king has rule and we have submission to the king and we got to follow what the king says. You may not love what the king says all the time, but you can either submit to it or be put to death. It's pretty much how it goes. So, Yeah, an analogy I like to think about, especially with, if you think about like a a father and parents and you're a child and your parents have ways of doing things that you might ne- not necessarily agree with but because they are your parents hopefully you had you know uh some parents that were uh you know ideally let's say you got some parents they got some good morals some good principles some good teachings that they have for you and as a child you don't you don't agree with them. That doesn't make them not right. Doesn't make them not ethical. Not make them truthful. But it's your responsibility as a child to trust, right? Your parents, and the same could be said for, right? A believer, you're technically a child of God, and He's going to have things that He has outlined that we're supposed to do and we're supposed to believe, and we may not like it. But that's that's the role of a parent. Yeah, it's a, it's a great analogy. And it kind of brings up kind of the names of God or how God presents himself in Scripture. He, he presents himself as a father. And we're supposed to get that imagery that you're talking about, like we're children and he's a father. But we're also told that we're adopted. And I mean, adoption is you're rejected by the world. You have no parent. You have no owner. You have You have nobody accepting you. And somebody decides... I'll take you and I'll take you into my family as one of my own and realizing also that we're like, we're dead in our sin and somebody brings us back to life and adopts us and becomes our father. When you look through that lens, you submit to everything. It's when you start to lose track of that, like you're entitled to it or you came to it through your own logic, through your own pride that you start to think that you can start to manipulate the relationship. I mean, think about an adopted child who just hates the people that adopted them. 
how, what a terrible situation, right? And then Jesus presents himself as king, and he's also referred to as king of kings. So he's, he's my king, so I've got to submit to him, period. But then he's king of all the kings, like just top of the top, top dog, top G. <laughs> and if, if that's not something to submit to, then the God that you're creating is just too small, way too small. Because fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And if you don't fear your father, you don't fear the king, then, and you want to start to question the king and you want to start to head down that path, it's not going to end well. Yeah, I think something that's unique about this, in our last episode we talked about the Reformed faith and how ultimately it comes down to Jesus, right, and God uh, calling us to him. And... What is, if you apply that, right, to what you're talking about here and just the type of intention, right, and focus a believer puts into developing that relationship with God and allowing him to reform you, what's, what does that look like? Like, what part is my doing and what part is God's doing? Right? Couldn't couldn't someone say, "Well, why don't I just sit back and allow God to, right, to to inspire me to read the Bible, inspire me to do the right things?" What's the relationship between self control or will and right God's God's plan for you? Well, I think if there's a couple questions in there, but I think if you go back to the father analogy. You know, as a father now with my children, I look at them and I want to help them. But I don't want to do it for them. Because if you do it for them, they don't grow. And they don't, they don't act as their own person. It just becomes a robotic relationship. And you see a lot of children being spoiled because the parents just do everything for them. They give them everything. They try to help, help, help. So there's a point as a parent where you pull back and you let them make their own mistakes. And I think that's the relationship of what God's showing us is, you know, consider it pure joy as we face these trials because it helps you grow in endurance, helps you grow, um, you know, so you're not lacking anything ultimately. Because as you grow a child, like I've got teenagers and we're in that transitional phase where it's like, okay, you got, I tell them all the time, like, hey, in a few years, you're an adult. You make all your own decisions. I'm... I've made all your decisions for you and given you rules, but we're now in this transitional period where it's like, you've got to grow and learn how to make your own choices the right way. Because eventually, I'm not going to be there to watch over you. And if you make bad decisions, you're going to have your own punishment. It's not going to be my spanking or my discipline. It's going to be the world's spanking and discipline and ultimately your father in heaven. And it's my job to hand you over to your father in heaven and kind of, and kind of you know, make sure you understand that. So... I think as a child in Christ brand new, you should have people discipling you and mentoring over you. But then there's this position as you grow and you start to become discipled where you then, as a disciple, become a disciple maker yourself. It's the same thing as life and fatherhood. You know, there's there's a period of time that you are a baby and you get, you know, milk as far as scripture and the basics and simplicity. And then you can understand the more complex stuff as you go along and as you grow in wisdom, but eventually it becomes your job to turn around and teach that to others. 
becomes your job to make disciples. I think one of the biggest um, things you talk about the Reformed faith, we focus on wrath and the fear of God. We stay terrified of the Lord because that's what the scripture tells us to do. And it's crystal clear. I think the movement that's happening in today's church, if you will, in general, is too much focus of Jesus as your friend, as your buddy, as, hey, pal, let's talk. You know, that's how prayer's going. There's no reverence. There's no fear. Um, And I'm not saying you can't come openly and speak to him as a friend. You absolutely can, because there's scripture on that too. But sometimes when it crosses over and Jesus becomes a buddy instead of a king, and he becomes a friend who would never hurt you or your friends instead of a a vengeful God full of wrath, ready to pour it out on the world like it's been told to us is going to happen. And when you lose sight of that, you start to lose the seriousness and you start to you start to accept some of the world's way of thinking about God, even just a little bit. And it can be very, very dangerous. So with you know, the Reformed faith is saying is let's read the scripture for what it is. Let's look at it and let's understand this wrath that we're escaping. That was God's work through the grace that he gave us. And he rescued us from the death of this world, from sin, and provided a solution through Christ to absolve our sins, to remove it from us and take it upon himself. Like that should bring an eternal thankfulness. And that should bring a constant feeling of, you saved me. Like I was dead and you saved me. I mean, that's what the scriptures teach. And when you think of it that way and you keep that at your forefront, you're always focused on his grace. You're always focused on what he's done for you. You're always focused on, I don't want to say always because we always lose track of what it should be, but it's a matter of let's get back to that foundation constantly and consistently. Let's, let's remember, you know, the five solas, you know, it's through faith alone in Christ alone, right? Revealed to us through the scripture alone, for God's glory alone. And when you start to really focus on these core fundamental teachings of the scripture and you keep them at your forefront, it doesn't allow you to get to the point of buddy, buddy, and then I don't really worry about what God thinks of me and I can live in my sin and I can backslide and I can do this, that, and the other. Not that you don't still struggle with sin, you do. But it allows you to get back to the core teachings of the scripture is really what the, the, the doctrinal systematic theology of it is. And it really, um, you know, it's funny. You end up talking about erasing hell and these teachings, and it's the most dangerous thing you can do is get rid of God's wrath. If you eliminate God's wrath, then what is it that we're saved from? If everybody goes to heaven... If God doesn't have wrath and isn't going to destroy and isn't going to judge, if the fire's not coming, then what did Jesus die for? What is it that he saved us from, our sin, the the punishment of our sin? Like, if there is no punishment of sin, then what are we saved from? Or is it just going to be a slap on the wrist? And, like, that's the world's way of thinking. And I think without wrath, you have no need for a savior. Yeah, and what's interesting about that is most people are 
a lot of people are either motivated some type by some type of pain or motivated some from some type of gain and um just the elimination of there is no hell which is a very popular belief now that number one we're just here for our life right now and then that's it and that there's no consequences for the actions that we have and so i think that that proper understanding of like what really is to come is really critical um I mean, that's the race we're running. What's interesting is, what if you really believed that? What if you really believed there was no repercussion for your actions whatsoever? Wouldn't you just do whatever the heck you wanted to do? Mm -hmm. And people say, no, 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 because my conscience doesn't allow me to. And it's like, yeah, you've got conviction from right or wrong that God put on your heart. He wrote the law on the hearts of every person. You know what's right and wrong. And if you continue to do wrong, your conscience gets seared over time. And certainly there is places where people do whatever the heck they want to do. And there certainly is certain compartments of our country where people are doing whatever they want to do. And it, it, it ends up pretty nasty. And it goes down these same paths for thousands of years. Like, it ends up in the same thing. <laughs> the same debauchery right. happens because it's human nature and human sin to head in that direction. But for those in between that still have a conscience and still know right from wrong, like, who put that there? Is that just your own? Like, did you program your own conscience to know right from wrong? Was it teaching from your parents? Or did you just know what was right or wrong? And certainly in rebellion stages, people do things that are wrong because it gives them a rush. But ultimately, like... God wrote that on the hearts of everyone. And, you know, the scriptures in Romans, it tells us that, you know, nobody's innocent. Like, you can't plead. Like, it's it's the, it, just if you look around at the things that are made, it screams the glory of God. I mean, I look to the sky and I'm like, wow. Every day, it just blows me away. Absolutely. You know, there's that concept of you can live as if there are no miracles or you can live as if everything is a miracle. Right, And it's really what glasses and what lenses you want to look at. And I just look at it as a mirror. I look at trees. I look at humans. I look at babies. And I'm just, I see God everywhere. Yeah. And it's just an absolute miracle to me. I didn't always see it that way. But I think when, you know, the king of the universe is revealed to you, you start to see it that way. But what if you truly believe there was no God? Then why not just do whatever you wanted? Why not steal why not be deceptive? There's plenty of ways to steal today and get away with all sorts of stuff that you would never get caught. It's not that difficult. You know, but what is it that stops people? What is that? You know, you really think you came from, you know, a monkey or, or an ape or something like that? Like you think like you just don't exist when you die? Then why live? Why live? Yeah. What's the point? Wouldn't it all just be meaningless? <laughs> Sure would be. Now we're back to Ecclesiastes. <laughs> <laughs> I heard this analogy one time about the to 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 make the case for for a creator. Um, I think it was uh, this guy R.C. Sproul, and he talked about a shoe. And imagine one day you're just walking down the street without any shoes on, and a perfectly crafted shoe just pops out of nowhere. 
fresh pair, you know, of, of Nikes or some Jordans on your feet and it's perfectly de- designed and it just like out of nowhere perfectly came into existence. And if if I proposed that, you'd be like, you're absolutely insane. <laughs> There's no way someone had to think that up for it to to be on your foot. And it's the same argument for the idea of there being no creator. You just talked about looking up in the sky. You're looking at, right, how we drive cars. I mean, just our entire universe is unbelievably fascinating. And to say that there is no one that designed our universe and how we live is, that to me sounds a little out there, really out there, you know? If it, you, it does. And ironically, if you look at the atheist scientists that study the universe and they go deeper and deeper and deeper, they almost all get to the same conclusion that there is intelligent design, as they call it. So the world screams and the universe screams intelligent design. DNA screams it. There's no real way to be intelligent and not come to that conclusion that this was designed. There's zero chance that this is all here by random circumstance. I mean, you just don't understand mathematics and probability if you think it's possible. It is absolutely impossible for a human to exist by random chance. An eyeball, a DNA strand, a child to be born and like grown out of a human. Like none of these things make any sense whatsoever when it comes to science and, you know, those types of arts. But ironically, God has given us all this evidence in front of our eyeballs so that none of us are innocent <laughs> from claiming I didn't know. But ironically, it's also him who gives the faith and the grace and does the saving. It's his work. So we don't really know in the end who God is going to save or who he has written in the book of life already. So it's our job to just continually present it to everybody. And, you know, I think one of the mistakes that's made in evangelism is going to the good people and trying to save them when God actually has a history of saving those that are usually on the other side. Mm -hmm. The not-so-good people. But we always think of it as, well, I want the good people on my team. I don't want the bad people. They're already so close. If they could just believe, it would be fine. And sometimes it does happen. But I don't know. I wasn't one of those people. So he tends to go into the gutter and pull us out. So it's not by logic. It's by faith, Mm -hmm. which comes by grace. And we got to make sure we don't censor as well because we got to read the whole scripture as it is we got to read the whole work of Paul you know there's um a lot of catholics read just a couple lines from James and they delete all of Paul which is the majority of the new testament because Paul talks about grace 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 all the time and how it's not by works like crystal crystal clear and they'll take a little bit from James and they'll snap it out of context and be like nope it's by works because they want to work towards it, because that's what their human nature tells them. Mm-hmm. Like, this is only what makes sense. How could God like you if you didn't work for it? You need to be involved. And it's like, what James is trying to say is, no, it's by grace, completely. But then there's fruit on the tree afterwards. And if there's no fruit on the tree, then you didn't get the grace. <laughs> you know, if it doesn't result in some sort of work, then it's probably a good indication that. It didn't happen in the first place. Mm 